let's go. Master of all things tabletop. With the Paladins of Podcast. They ruin the games you love by talking rules that suck, how to build kick-ass encounters, destroy worlds, and really get your players invested. So go ahead and throw that fistful of dice at someone. Because we're going on a side quest. Welcome back to Side Quests with your Paladins of Podcast. Robin Eli. How are we doing? Oh, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. Let's jump right in. Eli, tell me about your game sessions because I unfortunately had five out of seven players cancel because of life. So I didn't have a session. Oh, drat. That's the worst. Dude, it Were you is. able to like play a game or anything? No, one of our players generally needs a ride and I wasn't going to go pick them up. And one of our players is brand new. And I was like, hey, you know what? We'll just, we'll call it. I'm going to hang out. We're going to do our own thing. We will be good. So needless to say, I have to vicariously get my D&D fix through your games. Well, first off, what do you do when you have, when you have a session completely, completely canceled? Did you do something gaming related? Um, no, I took a nap and then I cleaned the house and hung out with my kids. Yeah, it's. I mean, besides hanging out with my kids, uh, that sounds a, a similar thing to what I do when my games are canceled. Yeah, like, I'm so sad. No, like fling myself on the couch. Oh, well, I'll tell you the uh, the bed was a better alternative than the balcony. I didn't have yet, so I was. It was one of those things. Yeah, it was. It was kind of a bummer, but uh, we understand that scheduling is always the crux of most games and. Usually, I'll have to say in the span of a little over a year that we have been consistently going, we've only had to cancel game fully a handful of times, maybe about five. So we're not too bad. That's part of the reason I like to run a little bit bigger parties is when two or three people can't make it. You still have enough to get the story through. So it was a great plan until it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, These things happen. Um, It's life. Yeah, I, I had two sessions. Um, I had a same day again. Star, yeah, uh, not on the same day. So I, okay. I had my Star Wars session, my Star Wars game, and my Hackmaster game. Okay. Um, my Star Wars game is just fantastic. Uh, it's episodic, and there's a lot of Star Wars material out there. So I'm just running like something pre-made, slapping them on an adventure, and uh, they're going for it. So this last week was a. Uh, a pod race adventure like they rescue someone and they get hooked into joining a a race and then now they're they're pod racing so uh, can i ask a yeah a question you say episodic now when i think of episodic i really go back to like saturday morning cartoons where there may or may not be an overarching story we've talked about this in a few uh few episodes previously um there may or may not be an overall arching story but the same characters reoccurring, not always connected session to session. Is that what you're doing when you say episodic? Yeah. Yeah. Where, uh, basically I have like all of these random adventures that are just like star Wars, like short adventures. And I'm just kind of like putting them together. Um, and some of them are related to each other. And so I'm either running them back to back or kind of alternating them, you know, like we'll have, one episode on Kashyyyk and then, you know, 
a month later, we'll have another episode on Keshi to follow up. So some of the, some of it's connected like that. Um, and some of that connections are also formed by me. So if like two adventures were about smugglers, then I'll be like, why not the same smugglers uh, are, okay. are giving you this mission? So um, like, and that, that's kind of the main work that I have as a GM in an episodic adventure. Because a lot of these short adventures are really made to just, you're supposed to just pick it up, like read it once a, a couple times, but then it's enough to run a session. Um, so a lot of my prep work is mainly like, how does this flow together, like episode to episode? Um, but I have a lot of time to do that because each mission doesn't always last like one session. Okay. So uh, we had, I think there were three, we had three sessions that covered their adventure to, um, to the planet Flax. Their, their mission was to go to the planet Flax, interact with the inhabitants, foster a rebel connection and then and then leave that was their mission um and it ended up falling into three different sec sessions the first session where they arrived uh they got into like they kind of like were trekking around flax to find their contact um session two was like finding their contact and then they interacted with their contact and were like oh no we have to do something to convince them um they, they failed some roles, so they were like, oh no, we have to do more to convince them to join the rebel cause. And now, so, yeah. I, I'm going to ask, how long are your usual sessions here? Because if if you're like four-hour sessions, it seems like it might be kind of hard to fill up that space if it's dedicated to specific rolling through. Do you run shorter sessions when you don't have enough material? or um, Our sessions... We usually start six six thirty, and we end around between nine and ten. So it's two and a half okay. to three hours. Uh, Perfect. Is what, it, what it's about. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, that's, uh, and that's... If we're in, the, if we're in like the middle of things, we'll we'll kind of keep pushing forward. Um, yeah, about about that. That's great. Three, that, that's actually really good context because here I'm thinking four hours because that's my usual session, but. Uh, knowing it's we're two, two and a half, maybe three. Well, well, sorry, six, six to ten would be four hours. So right, it it yeah, it ranges between four and like two and a half, six thirty to nine. All right, what, All one right. of our so, guys is like uh, uh works at the hospital, so he's got some like sometimes some wild uh wild scheduling. That's fair. So. That's fair. Uh, thanks. This that question was to help frame context ideas when you said sometimes you don't have enough content to fill one. So all right. We've got the dots connected. We've got some of the plot yeah. lines laid. Um, and so, like for episodic, so we had the, the the making the contact, and then the third episode, the third session that we had, ended up being um, they just they they basically did the mission. They went out and they blew up an imperial factory, and then they were in the middle of escaping. And they were in the middle of escaping, and that's when we kind of reached that time crunch. We were like, "Oh, it's ten. We got to call it," um, and. Now, instead of having another entire session about them escaping, uh, the next session we got together, I simply just, like, ended that mission at that point. Yep. You know, we kind of talked through them, finished, like, succeeding, and then, and, like, finishing from where they were, and then we were on to the next episodic adventure. I like that. I like that. I like how that sort of ended with them escaping, and then you didn't really story narrative 
session time through everything you just helped build the story, close it out, next one, move on. Um, I think it's a great way to do the episodic format. Um, I, I like it, but I haven't successfully been able to run a long-term episodic game. Now, with this being Star Wars-themed, and we're going episodic, do you give each of your sessions an episode-style name, like episode yeah. one, The Phantom Menace? Yeah, so like before, when, when I start the beginning of one of the episodes, I will play the Star Wars scroll, uh, like the, the Star Wars opening, uh, opening lines. Like, no and then as it swells into Star Wars, I'll read off like, Star Wars, Age of Rebellion, and then like read through... This is know, a the galaxy is too, rift right? with yeah yeah it's in person <laughs> so I, it really actually caught me up this last Thursday because I I went to play I just played off YouTube so I played a Star Wars thing and then I started and I was like Star Wars Pepto Bismol and, and then I was like oh there's an ad right. one <laughs> second I had to hit skip <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. God you know I, I love it when. When you're able to infuse technology, and I've been coming better at it, but when technology trips you up, it is great for for a quick laugh, but it can derail things if it happens at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in in my Hackmaster session, um, we have a, a a battle rager who usually starts singing poetry, um, and someone's phone started playing and got picked up by a mic, and so we started hearing Rihanna's work. Uh, when he went into a battle rage, and so for a while he was singing Rihanna as he was uh, as he was battling. Nice. So, I find those memorials more those those uh, small like interactions to be like pretty fun memories though. So yeah, yeah, they're they're generally they're they're pretty good. Um, I think the worst case is when instead of forming a good memory like you have done you let it derail and then all of a sudden you have this bad memory of when shit went horribly sideways and you couldn't pull it back so yeah the general rule as a, as a game master on if if something is going to take more than a couple minutes like more time than it might take me to go grab a snack and walk back then it's not worth sorting out in session. So if I have a piece of technology that breaks, I, you know, if I can't fix it in a couple clicks, unless it's like required, right. Where I'm like, this is absolutely necessary for us to continue the session. Um, then if I can't fix it in a few moments, just move forward. Um, I feel like people have too little time and it, the technology isn't always necessary. Like I don't need like an electronic turn tracker. I've got right. I've got pens, I've got paper, um, I've got a bad memory. I will have fun. <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I I like to feel the same way. In fact, I do remember when I ran one of my first games online um, recently. Now, I, I say recently because it was the first online game that I'd come back to. I tried it years ago when Roll20 was just starting out, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. But... Trying again, somebody had commented that I had technical difficulties, and as a professional DM, they were they'd like to see that kind of curbed. So I eliminated all of my technical aspects and just put a a webcam face down on my play table. And if we need a battle map, there it is. Just you know who your guy is. I'll move you to the square, and boom, running. <laughs> Running extra simple, and because we do it all through Discord, people can do it right through Discord. They don't need a multiple 
million different apps open. They don't need 10 different web pages. They don't need a whole, I eliminated all the extra technological crunch that gets in my way. I was proud of myself for that, Eli. Yeah, I think like technological crunch and like crunch in general, at least for me, I don't care if I have to embrace the crunch because I love the crunch. But if my <laughs> players are the ones bearing the burden of that, like then that's not a good sign. Like, I mean, I, I see it like in, in my work in like IT mm-hmm. um, and like software design, um, you know, the clients know what they want, but they don't always know what's best. Um, yes. And like the more, like if you give them too many tools, they will press all the buttons in the wrong combination. Um, all the times all the time and like in, time. intentionally yeah um, yeah so like part of part of like that design is you is you want them to have the easiest user interface possible um so tech is good for us but if they have to ha- like bear the burden of tech it's right right I, I i agree and that's why when looking at how a lot of people do their setup for online when you do your online game do you do it all through one service do you use the video and voice features from Roll20 or some of the other virtual tabletops? Uh, no, I, I use Discord uh, for our, our conversation. I use Craig uh, to record our sessions. Um, and then I use Roll20 to run the session. Um, yep. But we, we have messed around and bounced around to different, um, like different call sites. And we have even used Roll20. Um my my father and uh, one of my players Sawyer have <laughs> they have countless uh, technolo- technologically issues just with Discord. So, um, hmm. and then oftentimes like someone's laptop will break or yep. computer will break, and then they'll call in on their phone. So it, it yep. works pretty well. Um, yeah, that's that, that's what I like by. Just the webcam and Discord, it, it helps me because my players, because we're usually doing something like Pathfinder or 5e, if it's 5e, they'll have, in general, Discord open for our videos. If we're using virtual tabletop, they'll have a virtual tabletop tab open. They'll have their uh, D&D Beyond character sheet open. So that's three tabs in general that they got to constantly keep switching through. And it can get obnoxious. So they figure split tabs and close the video. I did everything I could to minimize that. So Yeah, well, you got to... The way of the technology is a million monitors. So... Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, I love that concept and idea, by the way. But uh, the blue light would kill my vision. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I have one player who uh, will sometimes go to work. And then listen to our sessions. Like we'll be in Discord muted, and we'll just listen to our sessions in their ear uh, while they're while they're working, which is pretty. Every once in a while, we'll be like, "I wonder what this character would think," and then we'll get like a typed response or like an unmuted, nice. like we'll get a one word. <laughs> you can hear the background of their work. Uh, nice. But, uh, nice. That's pretty pretty lovely. Yeah. Um, I love I love what technology has been able to do for players for actually just for the hobby space in general. I mean, it's allowed us to really connect with players at almost any time, any location and across the globe. It's it's been fantastic. I've a few I've had a few players who have actually phoned in when they couldn't make it to my in-person games. So we were able to do that. Uh, Incredible. 
So why don't you tell me a little bit about your Hackmaster game? Because ah. this is the party that I, I really enjoy hearing about. Yeah. So uh, I I haven't, I, I was, so first off for my Hackmaster group, I've been working on a herbs. Uh, Hackmaster has like not a lot of healing magically. Right. And so I figured that there should be like a quite a lot of like an herbal lore. And there's really that for the game. And I have a couple players who are very nature oriented. Um, and so I've been stealing the uh, Middle Earth role playing game things uh, from ice. And I've been stealing their herbs and spices. So I've been I've been converting that for that my game. Um, I I showed it to them uh, this last session, but we had we didn't have we haven't had a chance in session to use it. Um, okay. And we're still going back and forth on you know hey does everything make sense does the system even work did it convert well, uh, but Middle Earth has so many different herbs uh, I, herbs and spices, so it's going to get a little spicy in my sessions uh, coming up. I dig that. So. There is a book that I was interested in for another another RPG. It was for Troika. Uh, We've talked about that briefly. Okay. And they had a, a a new supplement come out for the game recently. I just don't remember exactly what it was. It was, uh, but it was all about ridiculous plants and fauna. I was gonna, I was gonna suggest it. Once I find it, I'll suggest that for you too. Um, oh yeah, I I love I love ridiculous flora and fauna. Um, I think that is the one of the the best and easiest ways to really make someone like be in a fantasy world is simply having weird plants and like different ecological interactions that you would normally see. You know, if you're like in a glade, you see some butterflies and a deer. Well, if you're in the swamp, you see a, a, a gorble fly and a, a pitcher plant, yep. whatever those means, right? And it helps to find your world. I like that. I dig it. So they are, uh, Nature themed, well, not nature themed. They are more nature aware. Your players. Um, what kind of things are you trying to cook up for them? Oh, just um, lots, lots of different spices. Just lots of different things for them to try to collect. Okay. And but, but most importantly, I'm trying to give like create a long list of special herbs that can cure uh, like ability score damage or weird effects uh, because one of the players is cursed. And part right. of that will be like will will involve probably some some resource hunting and some kind of you know go scope out find this uh, this elaborate herb in the mountain somewhere, um, and so part of that is also setting up that adventure and to to find uh, like for them to go and try to find things of, of especially high value uh, to try to cure each other. So just to give them more like to heal them and give them more access to that, and also giving them more adventure opportunities. Oh, I dig that. I dig that. I, I love how you want to bring in all the extra. So, that's always fun. Yeah, I think, and, and like, I, I love, like, stuff like that, because it can help bring, bring a world alive, and for the people that really like to read about it, that's wonderful. So. Agreed. And it, like it can answer the question of like in Hackmaster, it's like, well, if I'm severely injured, how? Like, do I just die? Maybe the answer <laughs> is yes. Um, 
but also if there's some herbs, maybe you have a better chance of living. So, uh, but that was that wasn't really related to what actually happened in the session. No, no, we got a little sidetracked, didn't we? Yeah, it's all right. I started with that. So, um, my session was the the finale of uh, the Dung Sweet Players performance. Uh, it was Act Four, um, and basically, what I had planned is there was going to be a mage who snuck in the front and tried to cast a stinking cloud over the audience. Okay. And then at the same time, Captain Dimond and uh, some some other people would try to storm the back and try to just cause a, a whole a whole ruckus. And okay. the players had a lovely time. They they just barely managed to spot uh, the the wizard in time and force a, a spell failure check. And I rolled a one in the spell <laughs> fantastically. Uh, and then it, it even like it, it, it damaged the mage so much that the mage really wasn't able to, to, to put up any, any sort of resistance. And so they captured him and, uh, and interrogated and realized the attack, the real attack was coming from behind. And so then they, Uh-oh. they, they scampered back and uh, it, it mainly ended up being a, 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 a back and forth kind of fight. Uh, mm-hmm. But the the players got split up a little bit between the two levels, and they were also trying to not interrupt the play anymore. Um, and so they would they would like be about to do something very loud, and then they'd be like, "Oh wait, oh shoot, I should actually I should be a little bit quieter." And then they'd have to change what they were doing. So um, it was cool to see the effect of how like being in the theater actually impacted uh, their their fight and. Uh, a swooping success. They managed to stop. Uh, they managed to stop the the raiders from stopping the performance. Uh, but they did on the very lowest audience level. So the audience was surly and unhappy about all the interruptions. But uh, they technically stopped a riot. So hey, they did it, uh, and the the play was a success. And uh, they they got a lot of a, a lot of fame for it. So they were they were very excited about that, which Good. I'm also excited about because the like getting that much local fame is going to have a, a bunch of impact on uh, how they're interacting with the nobility and all the different uh, like factions and gangs that are in uh, the city they're in. So now when you when you do things like fame, nobility, notoriety, infamy, et cetera, do you track that? Do you have a score table like? They gain X amount of fame points in this area. They come with titles, things like that. Um, I'll do it a little bit. Um, I'll I'll generally keep track if I think it's important. So in this case, I do think it's important. Um, that specifically some of their fame came like a, a sizable portion of their fame came from this specific region, and so that'll influence how their fame interacts. Um, and generally, I also try to. Like, uh, like I, I view a, a series of uh, concentric circles expanding from wherever they got their fame, um, where they'll slowly get less Venn and diagrams. less. Uh, no, not Venn diagrams, because um, they're <laughs> they're they're like rippling out, rippling out. Um, not the Olympics logo. No, no. Um, so I do somewhat track it, and so in this case, I will. 
um, okay. especially because their their fame, they were defending a play that was highly offensive to the master of Luna. And so they're going to carry, and then they're they're departing after this to go to the capital city, which is a highly political, like, a uh, lot of different seats of power and, and shifting power struggle, and they're going to be entering the scene having annoyed someone who has quite an impact on the social structure of the capital. Um, so I am keeping track of it in this case. I like that. I think that I, I keep track of a few different metrics uh, behind the screen for my players, and fame, fortune, infamy are uh, are one of them. And it's it's kind of cool because I think we spoke about a few a few weeks ago, one of my parties that I run, one of my campaign, one of my games, have broken the name that they have chosen from the beginning and had a new name bestowed upon them. So they went from the contingency heroes to the uh, the Drake Slayers because they slayed the Mana Drake. And they had uh, received that title, which increased their fame, which was good. It helped with the area that they're in. And then I just had my entire thought process just sort of derail from there. I'm sorry, Eli. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, you're talking about like how you're running your faction level game. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they got the new title. They got the they got the uh, fame that goes with it. The renown. That's a good word. That's the word I wanted. Oh, they got the they renown got, that like, goes with it. Like you're saying title. You're not saying yeah. like were the adventuring band of the red fists you're saying like the title like baron or the duchess or they, the, the they, hunt they got those with them as well but the uh, the party had originally decided to call themselves as a group contingency heroes you know hire contingency heroes we will do work for you okay. uh they slayed a mana drake and the town that they had that had watched this happen we're like you are no longer the contingency heroes you're the drake slayers and that's what we know you as that's what you forever be known as and so that has sort of rippled out um and that that with them came a little bit of renown that i've been tracking for that as well but that's also the uh moment that they received their protégés which is, which is kind of fun for me because I really enjoy your protege system. I actually a lot of the things that we've talked about I've implemented and it's it's made my games way more entertaining. So, uh, the protege system was one of them. Yeah, you you're doing a very different take on the protege system. How did your players receive it? They enjoyed their proteges. They they like the fact that uh, I kind of gave them slightly established characters. So. Here's your base character sheet. This is the guy that wants to follow you. This is why he wants to follow you. And then they can develop their character sheet after uh, after they get it, which is cool. But excuse me, one of them, one of my players, was all about the idea of letting his protégés die or just not work for them. They're like, no, you know what? You guys suck. I'm going to go do something else. And he, he would get another protégé after another big event came by. So... so for your protégés, when are your players going to get a chance to use them? When, when more than two people, but less than five can show up. I'm sorry, less than seven can show up. 
Okay. Or if we want to go on a protege adventure. Anytime that they want to further a storyline that they feel is beneath their character's storyline, I'll let them choose to do a protege adventure. However, anytime we're not running at full capacity, protege adventures are usually the uh, the ones that we go to. Oh, so, okay. yeah. have you had a chance to run a protege adventure yet? Yes, yes, one big protege adventure, which was absolutely fantastic. It was slightly before we did the episode about kickass encounters. Uh, ran a protege adventure. What was fun is that the proteges lost their hero's treasure. They were just doing a simple delivery mission. They lost the treasure and just sort of bailed on their job and then hung out at the hideout and asked for forgiveness when their, uh, uh, their what would you call, their, not, not a master. Mentors. Yes, thank you. <laughs> when their mentors arrived back, they're like, please forgive us. No, we, we lost all your shit. And it, it was bad. We were we we succumbed to bandit attacks. And I, it was fun. My my characters' proteges have not had too terrible of fates yet, but no. You know, maybe I should start inflicting some some brutality on them. Although one of them did get murdered by a Tetzelweirum that they were raising. The, their <laughs> party was like, "Hey, let's let's store this Tetzelweirum in a barn," and then they decided to just. Leave it in the barn. Just they kept feeding it, and months and months and months went by, and one of they the players bigger. started feeding it bodies. Got the taste for flesh, and then it escaped and murdered one of the mages. You know, it happens. It happens to the best of us. I'll say that the uh, the 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 coup for them and their proteges happened from a group of thieving gnomes. So they were just doing a simple delivery mission. Hey, take this wagon full of treasure and rewards for killing the dragon uh, back to our facility in this other village. It's just like a quick four-day trip. And their rolls sucked. They kept rolling natural ones on skill checks and attacks. And I kept rolling really well. So the dice gods just said, no, you guys lost all your stuff and it sucks for you. Um, carry on. So, one of those days. Thank God it wasn't their primary players, because they would have been much, much more dead. Well, you know, you can kill them all. Almost did. In fact, fun news. Fun news. Contingency heroes, now known as the Drake Slayers, are approaching 10th level. At 10th level, death flags go away. Why? Why at 10th level? At 10th level, it's been the predetermined level uh, because it's at the midpoint between uh, primary 0 to 20 game progression. But, okay, but also, that, that means also the the bonus that you get when you can die, when your death flag's up or yes. down, also goes up. away? Yes. But they are no longer... Saturday morning style heroes. They are real heroes. They have they they have bypassed the campy learning stages. They have established themselves. They have built the reputation. So now anytime they're going out to adventure, the risk of losing a hero is detrimental to the world. 
And there's always a risk of losing a hero to the world. Your name level heroes. I well, I mean, just just curious, like ballpark, how many times has the death flag being down saved someone? A lot. Ballpark? Uh each player four times at least. I a thought few players when you're, more. Like well, like have like that seems like a lot. Aren't they usually supposed to isn't there a penalty or is there is there some impl- impact for going down while having your death flag down? If you're not playing, if you don't die, because that's what the death flag does. The death flag says I'm willing to die. Um, when you're not playing yeah. with the death flag, yeah, there's there's usually a huge penalty. And usually it comes in the form of getting maimed. And you have so a crippling... all your players are like four times maimed. They don't have any arms left. <laughs> by by some degree, they are they're they are maimed, crippled, decrepit, handicapped to some degree. Um, I'm like I'm like wondering what is the full degree. Like I'm like I'm I'm generally just curious how how impactful will it be on their full characters like life? I guess to actually die. Well, what is the impact oh. that these players have had from the death flag being down and they've gone down, right? Where they yes. don't die, mm-hmm. but they get maimed. How are yeah. your characters maimed? Oh, they've uh, they've lost use of limbs. They have been horribly scarred. They like, have... like permanently? How many people are down limbs? Two. Arms or legs? or uh, One arm, one hand. And one of them was horribly scarred across her face. And she was a bard, so she ended up losing her charisma modifier. Hmm. So it's yeah, if if you get maimed, it's a it's it's crippling to some degree. Yeah. Um and that that was how we wanted to play. That's like, hey, these are the rules that we go down. We use the death flag, you don't die, but you get maimed you get there there's a crippling debilitating effect you don't die you stay alive and they're like jesus christ sometimes that's worse than death i'm like yep but you're still here you still have things to do um so we yeah at and at level 10 they should have enough wherewithal and understand that hey everything is a risk now we are to the point where we are we are heroes and if we die it is a loss to the world so how how big of an impact do you think is the loss of that bonus? Was it a D6 to everything? D6 to every roll. I mean, that's a pretty big loss, right? To For one of my players, thing. yeah. One of my players, yes. Only if because he rolls so poorly. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that, D, that D6 doesn't help him out as much as he wants it to, but it helps him out just enough. Um, no, the, the mechanic... The mechanic and everything of of losing the D6 uh, isn't detrimental because we all know it's going away. So it's going to bring down the extra benefit of being careless and it will help them be more nuanced. You're going to like tone like in your encounter prep, you generally prep for like a certain strength of fights. Like, are you going to adjust that down at all? No, No. they don't have the extra D6. You're just going to maintain the level. It's going to be maintained because I plan on all of them not using it 
knowing that some of them always use it and some of them are here and there on if they're going to use it or not. So I will continue to uh, keep my encounter design approximately the same level. So kind of fun. I've also changed the, the direct, I don't want to say the direction. I've changed gears a little bit on our current campaign uh, progression. So instead of focusing on large scale story arcs, we're just detailing some of the smaller, finer story points before coming back into the larger arc. What does that even mean? Our story arcs that we're following right now are more personal to the characters than overall to the world. Okay. So instead of instead of going off to uh, to stop the meteor, they're covering just some of the things that they want to get done first. Okay, so like I mean, like the the more personal impacting goals rather than something world world ending. Yeah, that's that's just a big way to put it, um, and that's that's helping them ingrain their hero status more. It's getting them more uh, their fame and renown built up a little bit more, and it's it's been an interesting, fun process because the goal is once they hit level ten to really give them the ultimate BBEG scenario. I mean, aren't you going off, like, milestone, essentially, leveling up? Couldn't you just make them 10 and start that? Yeah. Yeah, but it's not time. Well, why not? Because they haven't gotten there yet. Pacing. Okay. It's all about pacing. All right, so what is your what is your pacing goals for this, then? Um, When they uncover the next uh, piece of information about one of the bad guys when they uncover that next piece of information should right. set them down the path this next game okay so this next game you're starting yes it should start them down the path this next game within two more three more games hopefully right. at the longest they will hit <laughs> level just, 10 you just said it's you're not it, the timing's not right and then you're saying it's happening next session no no, we start the path next session. Uh, we open we open the door uh, next okay. session. And then hopefully with two to three sessions, we will be at the threshold. And is that just because you need to give them more information for this major quest? Or you're trying to yes. make sure to give them all a spotlight? Yes, to both of them. So they all have the opportunity and we're introducing a new player. So... You got a fun scenario to bring him in. Yeah, that makes it. And then you're going to start your big, your big overarching campaign. Draw it to a close. How how long do you think? I mean, ending a campaign is a huge thing. How long? Like, how do you? How long do you anticipate? Like, do you want to try to finish it in a year, half a year? Uh, so we've been going for just over a year now. I would like to still be able to push it. Um, at least another year. And I would really like to see the uh, the characters reach level 20. I think that would be fantastic. Very few players, <clears throat> excuse me, very few people have the opportunity to go from low level to 20. Yeah, so, but you're, you're doing milestone. You could just choose them to level up into, in the next 10 sessions, they could get to level 20. 
You are correct, but that would be cheating my players. It's it's milestone. It's not cheating your players. It's cheating my players. Everything has been slow going so far. Okay. So I don't want to change the level pace just to get them to a goal because they've never been there before. Uh, it has to be at least as organic as it has been thus far. Um, but the hope is here we'll hit the the midpoint of the campaign, and this is where everything changes. And I want to see what they do in the next portion after everything changes. How much of that all do you have prepped out? I have a lot of two scenarios prepped out. What does a lot of two scenarios mean? The changes that will happen to the world, depending on the choice uh, that they make. So the big bad evil guy. Yeah, yeah, is... yeah. I, I know that, but you don't have like anything prepped from like three, you know, you say they're at level 10. So like three yeah. sessions from now, they're going to start. Yep. From from that start to the campaign end, you have the, the impacts of the choices they make, but you don't have any of the prep from them in three weeks getting to there. No, I got the I got the I got the start to there those three weeks. I got that planned out. From level ten I, to level twenty, how much do you have of that adventure planned and prepped? Oh, out? the actual adventure, nothing yet. Just the changes that are going to happen to the world. Uh, because, like I said, that will all depend on the decisions that they make when they reach the big bad evil scenario. Are they reaching the big bad level scenario? That big bad situation at level ten or at level twenty? At level ten. Okay, so you're you're going to introduce them to the the bad guy first. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes because truthfully, they could solve the big bad evil scenario, which I'm going to call it, um, at level ten, right there, as soon as it comes down, or they could prolong it and draw out other aspects. So you basically have a fifty-fifty shot that your campaign ends in three weeks. Nope, because depending on the choice that they make, the world just changes. Right, but couldn't they just? You just said that they could solve it right, right then and there. Taking out, okay. So, I don't, I don't have to hide it behind the veil. I don't know if any of them really listen. So their decision, <laughs> their their decision will either be to let the world change or save the world, and the third option. I worded that wrong already. They can take the place of the wizard who developed the plane because it's tied to his existence right now. His existence is powering it. Okay. They could sacrifice one of the players to take his place and keep the world functioning as it is. Yeah. They could do nothing of the sort and sacrifice the mage who developed the plane to the evil dragonic wizard who has been searching for him for centuries, which would destroy the plane. Now, if the plane is destroyed by rules of Pathfinder, 
everybody inside gets shunted out to the normal material the normal material plane. So now we start at that point. Or option three, they find a way. So if, if they choose that option, then they're shunted into the Galerion. Yeah. The material world. Oh, that'd yeah. be pretty fun. Yeah. Hope they go with that option. Uh, and then the other one is instead of sacrificing one of themselves, they either find somebody else to sacrifice to keep the plane going, or they uh, find a different power source to power NMR. Uh, so that's that's how it's going to change. The big bad evil guy is the moral dilemma that they'll have, that they're going to have to take on. Well, I hope they choose to destroy the world. <laughs> and then they get to just, you have to pull something out of your hat for a random Pathfinder Galarian adventure. Just, are they even going to speak the same common? Uh, it's been, history says it's been thousands of years. So they technically wouldn't speak the same common. Yeah, that sounds awesome. You should, you should they're outsiders in a different plane. I mean, they technically would be outsiders, right? They absolutely so. would. Yeah, they would. Uh, it's yeah. There's there's a lot of fun possibilities, and one of the biggest issues is that when you have so many different story ideas and you want to see them all come to fruition, you start to muddy the one that you're on. So I've I've been very deliberate on keeping this path uh, very well configured, and that's why so, I say, go ahead. Animar is a world that you've been working on for a while, and you're yep. you're writing up into a, a source book. Are you not? I, I had been working very hard on doing so, but it's not something I've dedicated time to for a while. What happens in your creating of the uh, the source book if the players decide to end the plane? Is that how your source book ends? Like at the very end, it's got like the final note, the destruction of the plane. I would probably. I'd probably write the end for the three decisions that are that have been laid out since the beginning and let them know that my players destroyed the plane. That seems like an awesome choice. That's what I would go with. Did I ever tell you about the time where I destroyed the uh, the universe as a player? I'm not surprised. That's but not no, funny. you haven't told me. It <laughs> wasn't was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so one time I was playing a Pathfinder game. A friend of mine was DMing. I was playing a character. We were already close to epic level. I think we were pushed at like level 16. Somewhere between level 16 and 18, I believe. And this bad guy had a book of creation. So everything that had ever been created was written in the book. And anything that would be written in the book would be created anything that was taken out would be destroyed and he kept coming into battle taunting us and we all tried to attack him we missed horribly and my thought process was you know what he's got the book he's taunting us with it i'm going to attempt to sunder the book and this will at least get him to back off and leave us leave us alone till we can figure out a plan I ended up getting a critical on my Sunder attempt, which in his rules had destroyed the book. And we all just winked out of existence immediately. <laughs> I love it. Great. Eli, 
out of a four-hour session, we were two and a half hours in. Perfect. And that's how to end it. That is, it, that is that what he did. Is yeah, he's like, all right, everything winks out of existence. That's how it, that's how this ends. It's like, what? Are you like, no, he's like, nothing. Everything's gone. It was the book of everything and you destroyed it. I'm like, shit. <laughs> that's yeah, we called it early and that game ended. That's how to end a campaign right there. It was incredible. The sundering of a book. Incredible. Oh my God. It taught me a lesson. That's for sure. And what lesson is that? I'd love to say don't sunder books, but I've done that continuously as a player. <laughs> don't roll high. Don't take feats that allow you to sunder better. That's what I learned. What? No, it's sunder great. crappy. Like, you should keep doing that. And it ended in a, it's a memorable story. You succeeded. It is. Your character was built to succeed. You did so well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he was built to succeed, but it's one of those things. But all right, that's. Let's let everybody get on with their day. Thanks for checking us out. You can find us online at Epic Table Games. Uh, online at Doc. I messed that up. That's the first time I've done it in a long time. EpicTableGames.com, Facebook at Epic Table Games, all of your D20 SRD needs at Open Gaming Network. And we will see you next time. Bye. Okay, new intro. We've changed the name. And we're still using the word paladin. Paladin. I mean, it hasn't been used in the English language in about 200 years, but okay.